What's up? Did you find a place to record? Hello? Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, I'm trying to figure out how to get this fucking video shit. Either way, I'm probably just gonna do audio, dude. Yeah, it doesn't really matter, I guess. Yeah. Um, so you found a place to record? Yeah, we're all good. All right. Well, I sent Jamal the link just a couple of minutes ago, so he's probably just gonna pop in like, I don't know when, but uh, so I guess you wanna start? Um, welcome back to the Rando Pod, Rando Cast. How you doing, buddy? Pretty good, pretty good. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. Yeah. Um, what's been going on this week? Um, just a lot more podcasts. I just talked to Jimmy Jacobs. I just talked to the No Offense Show. Um. I think I did some other ones, but dude, I can't even remember. There's so You're much all over the place, dude. Like I was posting hours and people were like, Jesus Christ, how, how many uh, podcasts does Nick do? I was like, dude, he does. You've been doing them every day, huh? Yeah, seems at, like it. <laughs> at least one, dude. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. But that's really cool, man. Uh, a lot of people commented on the, uh, or joined from that Noah Lampert Synchronicity uh, podcast. Yeah, I saw that. That's freaking awesome. Oh, yeah, dude. And the next day, like, there was just a lot of energy in the Randonauts lobby. And, like, it seemed like old times again. Like, people were, like, actually adventuring and just going off and posting their shit. And it was really cool. Hell, yeah, man. That makes me so happy. I, I figured that Noah's, like, community would be really good for that. And, it, you know, it's, like, people will join from all over the place. But it always seems like the people who have like a cohesive idea about like synchronicity and just like what we're doing, they, they get it. You know what I mean? Like, so I think the thing is like you, you, you find what you're looking for. Right. And so right. If you're looking for bullshit, guess what you're going to find? You know what I mean? Like right. sincerely seeking some, like something else besides that. Like, I think, you know, it's a good thing. And like, it's really cool to get all that energy in the rooms again. Yeah. So, you know, that, uh, interview we did for the outline uh-huh yeah i was kind of i was kind of upset with that like uh physicist dude that that the interviewer talked to me too because i feel like i feel like he didn't even get it he didn't get it he, he didn't get it he didn't even understand like the questions he was being asked <laughs> right because he was like well if there's a bunch of people going to these spots of course animals are going to act weird i was like no like they're not all going to the same spot it's when people go see animals Right. When they're in these blind spots where no one goes, it's the, it's the opposite. No one's going to the exact same place. Like I doubt random knots have coincided yet. Like that's an interesting thing to look at is if anyone has independently um, generated the same attractor point, we need to look at that. But like the thing is you're going to places where people don't usually go. So if strange things happen, it's because of that, not because people are converging. So yeah, he didn't understand like, and then that's another example, like of people just thinking they know everything and not even like being humble enough to like try and learn something. I don't know. Right. To even entertain the idea. Right. Because, you know, if you've decided it's not real, then it's not going to be real. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. <laughs> this, I mean, it's, it's, it's part of the whole re reality creation uh, deal. Like, uh, that, you know, Noah Lambert talks about a lot. Yeah. He's super big into Neville Goddard, imagination creates reality, that whole kind of thing. Some of those people, not Noah, but some of those people really turn me off um, because it almost gets into like solipsism. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we talked about that too, me and Noah. I was like, because I agree that it is like solipsism, but that's not such a bad, bad thing if you choose to look at it as if everyone's myself, why would I treat any other person badly if it's you pushed out? You know, you would love everyone like you love yourself. Right. I, I just have seen it wielded um, not so good. Right, right. But uh, dude, are you looking at this video right now? Yeah, your eyes are freaking. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, but uh, yeah, dude, like that that Neville Goddard and uh, you know all that all that um, what is it called the law of, law of attraction? Um, yeah. What what is it? What is that stuff called? Uh, Man, Was that Jamal? Yeah. Is he on there? Oh, hey Jamal. Hey, what's up, Jamal? Hey guys. How you doing? Far late. No, no, you're right on time. 
Yeah. Give me a second. Yeah, you're right go, on time. Go, I just got in too. I'm going to go turn off some of my appliances. Like I'm doing Sunday cleaning, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Manifestation. I feel like those folks like focus on that a lot. Manifesting things, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's all very relevant to randonauts. You know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of people in the Neville Goddard communities kind of branch out to the dimensional jumpers too. Right. So I've gotten in a few arguments with these types of people because they insist that even by outlining the despair meme, you're causing it to be created, which I take issue with that in a couple ways because one, the despair meme is something we've measured in people who didn't even know about the despair meme. And two, right. one of the biggest ways we found to fight the despair meme is to become cognizant of it and cognizant of the way that it's propagated. Right. So like, that's where I sort of start to take issue where they're like, no, dude, just focus on love and light only. And then, you know what I mean? Like that just really gets to me. I, I don't know. Yeah, dude, I get in a lot of arguments with my with myself because I fucking I I teeter back and forth between like there is an objective truth and objective reality where there's things that are beyond our control, and then yeah, I'm in the other camp of like it's all subjective. It is imagination. Well, but it's, it's oscillatory. I think I think it's oscillatory. Like there's conflicting truths, right? yeah maybe like a venn diagram of objectivity and subjectivity that would be like, crazy yeah 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 so, like the overlap is our world i guess but i think that tied into i was listening to what we talked about last time we kind of sort of talked about the same thing it's just like illusory reality and you've made a point before that like what isn't illusory in some way um, right i mean even atoms if you go all the way down to an atom you realize it's not even solid so it's like what is solid nothing Right. <laughs> you could just walk through a wall or something if you uh, knew how to decohere properly. Right. I guess it's like density. But like, I don't know, Jamal, are, are you there? I'm here. All right, man. Uh, yeah, so Jamal is like one of our senior developers. He's been with us for a long time. Uh, uh, Jamal, like, do you remember like uh, how, how we started talking when I posted that weird cryptic like message on Randonauts? Then you know what? I, I usually don't uh, even click on stuff like that, but I just, I don't know. I thought it was interesting, right? And uh, the, the, the concept was interesting. I was reading up on quantum physics at the time and I didn't expect much from it, but uh, you know, it's quickly been like the thing I do with my free time. <laughs> so for those who don't know, what was that cryptic message? I, I, I'm sure comrade, comrade, you got it, right? I mean, it, yeah, it, probably, it, it, yeah, it was the Phatom Rhizome Project and it was just yeah. like, just sort of a cryptic message that said, thank you, thank you, Randonauts, for joining this ceremonial fire, and thank you for being such kind and curious and sincere people. And that's going to help you a lot at, at this stage of the game. I basically just like ask people to just start their own like kind of fatum communities and like just to like lead the organization and start just do it. And Jamal just kind of took that literally, I think, and became a. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think the project has definitely grown a ton, right? Like, uh, uh, it's like every other week we get a couple of new developers who join on with who are very optimistic about joining. But I think like the biggest barrier to entry for everybody and even those on the team who have like been on there since the beginning is like everybody thinks we know everything about what we're doing, right? And the people <laughs> right. on the things that we're, we're basing our stuff on don't know how the hell it works, right? We all, all we know collectively as a human race is that all we can do is set up parameters in this tight way just to show that this system exists, right? And how it works, no one knows. And that's, I think, the great puzzle. And that's what keeps people engaged in Phantom, right? It's just, uh, it's the fact that no one really gets the system behind the system, right? We know its limitations. It has to happen within this time duration. We know uh, that other people before us have spent 20 years trying to gets the academic and scientific community on board with it. And although all of their experiments are reproducible, very simple to follow, statistically relevant, scientific community thinks it's not a, a serious topic to touch, right? We know that like the United States government and many militaries are very, very aware of this because this deals with computer hardware. And uh, if this, the person who's maintaining the hardware's consciousness can influence it, right? It can cause it to malfunction, right? So there's a lot of people who are interested in this because we got a lot of infrastructure out there that is critical, that is dependent on it operating on like fixed loops and that the numbers remain as they do and uh, a lot of that. So 
we, we, we kind of, we kind of understand from that perspective, but everybody who joins in, they join in and start asking these questions, like explain the magic. And we're, and then we, the answer we always tell them is like, Hey, here, here's what we're basing our research on. Here's a paper, you know, global consciousness project. Here's a book by Dean Radin, you know, here's a YouTube yeah. podcast and, you know, like join us in trying to understand how the hell it works. Right. We're right. just taking what's already been there. Uh, yeah, that's, that's great. I like the idea of just like use the bot and then, you know, mm -hmm. just use the technology and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. For me, you know, I'm one of these people who doesn't believe in chance or like, uh, I guess like I'm very pessimistic when it comes to the weird stuff. Right. Like if, if I, if I can't see it, touch it, feel it, right. Reproduce it. Right. I'm like, it's bullshit. Like, like I, I, I don't believe in it, but like this uh, quantum physics randomness and maybe it's not even the quantum aspect of it, just the randomness and consciousness as influence. Like I've seen so much weird stuff just as it relates to this project and just my trajectory in life has changed right. so drastically yeah. as a direct result of using this like bot. I, I, I can't deny it anymore. Right. It, it, and the more I read, the deeper I dig into the research, the more I start to understand it the weirder it becomes, right? And then you, you start reading the books by the people who've done this for 20, 30 years, right? Who are academics, who are scientists, who are trying to get the greater scientific community to understand it. And they're just trying to get people to like, get to the point of just like, we don't know what this is, but it's there. And we need to pay attention to it. Like this shit is like paramount to what we're all working on, right? It's touching every aspect of technology, right? It was funny, I was talking to like a, a tech support admin for my cell phone, just like an hour before, right? And she, she said something that was interesting. She said, this computer never works when I'm like stressed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Common, common uh, yeah. Some sort of electromagnetic interference or something. Yeah, yeah, and I was talking to an older neighbor, right? And he was telling me before, when everybody had house line, uh, landline phones, right? And you'd have to call someone and ask to see if they were free and all that, uh, that everybody kind of knew who was calling before right. like, you know, the call came in. Like, oh, that's so-and-so, right? And of course, yeah. you know, like people have patterns. We know this person calls at this point. But we kind of knew, like it was like, we just knew somebody would be calling at this time and we kind of knew it was going to be them, right? And then the other funny thing I find interesting is, right, nobody believes that you can influence random number distributions until you play board games, right? Right. Right. I'm going to roll a double and then you oh, roll a double. Oh, shit. <laughs> right? People, yeah. and it's not until I say that during a board game, like I say something like, Jamal, you need to roll a double. And I'm like, I can't. It's a random distribution. <laughs> right. And then you get it. <laughs> then you get it. What global, you know, what group consciousness can do, right? It's like you just start rolling dice and, as a group and, you start getting stuff like doubles and sevens, you know, this like is where I start to think that randomness wow. may not be the best word and mm -hmm. that we may need to think about using the term potentiality. Mm -hmm. That's hilarious though. People will, people will doubt this project and then go out gambling the next night. Exactly. Right. So they, <laughs> yeah. they believe in it and to, to some extent. Right. And so it, you know, it's because of this reading up on all this, that like the lottery, you know, if it is truly random, starts to make sense why it's really hard to game that right wow. you have such strong emotions and focus you know uh push towards this random distribution of numbers right and so that any single person would have the ability to influence it right it would be better as opposed to trying to get a hundred million tickets for the lottery it probably would be better to get like a thousand people to try to focus on this specific random distribution to happen as opposed to trying to get like as many tickets as possible. Right. So it's kind of changed my perspective on just like systems and humans and how they all intersect together. Definitely. Definitely. Right. I, I think it's funny how, you know, there's people that will play the lottery their whole life and never win. And then there's those people that will, they win multiple times in their mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um, Jamal, I, w I was wondering if you could uh, talk a little bit more about like the future of this project and like what, what we have planned for the future. Absolutely. Yeah. Let me pull up a doc. Uh, let's see. I, I made some notes that I wanted to share. And Jamal, um, real quick, just, is there any way for those who are just tuning in and are probably curious, like, can you say a little bit about yourself and who you oh, are yeah. and, and uh, like how you got involved in the project and then what the future is? 
you know that's 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 the mystery you know we can't give that away <laughs> okay, <fine. laughs> yeah. let's just let's just say i'm a i'm a programmer right and uh uh i'm, I'm doing some pretty gnarly stuff i'm not going to drop what my day job is but uh i'm pretty up there uh, I, I got it. i have had a long career as a programmer i've done some pretty serious projects and uh I stumbled into this just like everybody else stumbles into this. Well, right? Yeah, I think, I think the idea is that like who, who we are really doesn't matter so much. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Really mm -hmm. matter. Yeah. And you know, you, you want Nick, I will say one thing to attach to that is that this project is sort of egoless, right? There's a, there's this thing where it's like, everybody feels like it's greater than the individual. Right. And it's like, whenever we need someone who has a specific skill set, they kind of just show up. You know, right, right, there, right. So I'd say that uh, at least for me, it feels like we're all kind of channeling the project, and we don't have an organizational structure. We don't have like leadership. It's one of the weirdest things, and uh, somehow it all comes together in, in this weird way. And it, when it comes to projects that are like this, which are where, where there's cross cultural aspect to it, where there's people from different countries, different time zones, different motivations, right? You would expect like more bickering, especially when it comes to programmers. Programmers yeah. are ego-driven people. They start forking the project. I'm going to make Phantom 1 on this side, and I'm going to make Phantom with the Z on here, right? And the fact that it just is a well-oiled machine and it just works, right, is, is the thing that throws a lot of people off. They join the project, and they ask questions, and we give them like the full history and what we're working on, what we haven't worked on. They're like, are you supposed to tell us that? We're like, yeah. <laughs> uh, so to kind of give perspective to uh, everybody, you know, who's kind of in the community, like what's be happening behind the scenes within like the dev channels, right? And I just want to say like, none of this is like hidden. It's not like we, we're intentionally not sharing information. We just don't have a really good commu communication strategy to, to talk about it because we don't have a direction. We don't have like a, everybody's working towards this specific direction. It's just that everybody contributes what they want to contribute when they want to contribute it, right? So it's hard to set deadlines on that. But uh, kind of to catch you guys up, right? So uh, version one implemented like the, uh, like I'd say the basic functionality of some of the research that the Global Consciousness Project did, right? Some of the stuff Dean Reed and Raiden and them did. And pretty much it produces weird stuff, but it's not controlled enough because we're not the only ones who are consuming from the ANU, you know, quantum source, right? So we don't know what other attentions are mixed into that, what other projects are using that. And uh, super true. Yeah, the chain of custody isn't there, right? And because we don't have chain of custody over the quantum source, we, we, we really don't have a tight experimental model where we can kind of re repeat stuff in a loop and collect the data we need. Right. So early on, we kind of identify that as the project started growing, like nobody thought it was going to catch on fire as it did. This is supposed to be like a small, maybe 100 to 200 person thing around the world and where we could test it and iterate on it. Right. Uh, but very quickly, like it expanded, it grew and like the bot was consistently crashing every other <laughs> night. Yeah. Right? And yeah, about, like two months, like restarting it multiple times a day. <laughs> multiple times within an hour <laughs> yeah yeah right. um so the first problem that we ran into is that like we need a for any of these more advanced algorithms like here's the thing right all of the stuff we're doing has been done before we're just doing it at a different scale right all of this stuff has been done over the last 20 30 years by people that are many times more intelligent than us that have spent the time and energy to validate this uh these concepts right they work there's mathematical models there's papers out there there's books out there it's just that there's no application it's like one of those things that it's just that it's in academia there hasn't been a like an in real world application that you can use that makes sense so uh the very first thing we realized is that a lot of these algorithms that we want to implement you need a high source of entropy right you need a high source of quantum entropy so the issue with quantum random number generators is, is that they work but they produce low amounts of entropy we're talking about like 32 uh bits per second right and that's a bit not like bytes right so this is really small like numbers per second you know and if you consider the fact that the current bot requires like an array of 10,024 numbers to even compute just one 
attractor point, right? That's just one. And you need to compute a whole bunch of them so that you can find the statistical uh, important one, right? So that's just for one. You need 10, about a, a, a 1024, right? 1024 numbers. These lower, lower uh, bit rate uh, quantum random number generators just can't hit that throughput, right? And uh, the commercial grade ones, like, you know, internally in the dev team, we bought one. We went and bought like one of the industry grade uh, uh, quantum random number generators for like $1,400, right? And it works. It produces about, you know, uh, 32 uh, megabits per second, right, uh, of, of randomness, but that's nowhere near the amount that we need, right? So we have a system and we can use it in a closed loop, but it takes time to generate uh, uh, important, statistically significant attractor points that way, right. right? So the first thing we're trying to figure out is how can we get more entropy, right? What are different ways to get it? And a few different ways you can get more entropy is one, you can rebuild the ANU, you know, quantum random number generator. The, the issue with the ANU's quantum random number generator is that it uses lasers. And lasers need thermal regulation. They need precise measurements. They need to be angled correctly. And uh, it, it needs to be in a very precise system, right? You can't, you can't mess it up, right? It needs to be regulated. So, uh, and it's a little expensive. It's not cheap. And the paper released by ANU, right, is... Uh, just like most academic papers, very verbose. The language is very unapproachable. It says like microcontroller, but which microcontroller? You know, w what parts, right? The parts that might have existed when it was built then might not uh, exist today, right? It might be a whole set of different uh, uh, hardware parts that you have to put together and uh, stitching that all together in, in, in a nice way is, is a difficult thing, right? And then you have to verify that your data is truly random, right? So that's the other question is like, okay, if you have any truly random source, like how do you figure out if it's random? And the answer is, is that people many times more smarter than us have invented statistical models that you can put numbers through to figure out if it's truly random, right? So that's our way we're kind of testing it. But who's to say that if we build this and we mess up like on calibrating the laser, you know, and the thermoregulation's off, and then now we've messed up with the quantum state because like, you know, temperature can influence, you know, like uh, optics, right? So uh, how do we know that the weird behavior still continues? You know, how do we know if it's not something else in the ANU lab that, that generates that, right? It'd be nice to kind of fly out there and, and learn more of that. But the first problem that we have as a dev team is uh, we have all of these algorithms that we found in academic papers and books and all that, some stuff that's really cool, right? Uh, there's this one uh, algorithm we found that if we, if we had enough entropy, like enough raw data, we could, we could implement it. And this algorithm would kind of just showcase like how amazing this technology is. One of the things that a lot of researchers have struggled with throughout the decades when it relates to consciousness and random data is the noise problem, right? There's all of this noise in the, in, in the random data, right? How do you figure out when it's an, it, 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 there's an intention there versus when there is an intention, right? And some amazing researchers out there have figured out how to apply like statistical error checking uh, to the data set and do the equivalent of like a gain amplification to reduce the noise and increase the intention, right? And they've demonstrated this like in a web browser uh, closed loop where you could look at a bar graph and that bar graph is being generated via quantum random number generator thousands of miles away and you could focus on making the bar graph go up or down and have above 80% chance of getting it to move. Like this has been done. Like this is what, yeah, this has been done. Right. And the only reason it's a, it's above 80%, not a hundred percent is the TCIP protocol has like this handshake thing it has to do. And so if it's not fast enough, it does. If, if basically the random number that's generated isn't displayed to the user within two milliseconds, uh, it's no longer relevant, right? And this is from like a lot of experiments. Two milliseconds seems to be the the time duration where uh, the person has to see the data outputted from the quantum system to be able to influence, right? There's a time constant. And it's more as a result of the way our internet architecture is set up and packets are routed, right? They break out the packets, they send them across different ways. But if it doesn't arrive in time, it's not going to work. But above 80% is still magical, right? Right. For sure.
So there's 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 that uh, algorithm we'd like to implement because that would be the equivalent of like a, a quantum GPS system if we if we put it into the phantom uh, you know architecture. Yeah. So that's yeah. One. I think it's a big big thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The other idea we've been kind of thinking about is like, is there a way to like mix in quantum uh, random numbers into a naturally occurring entropy source? Right. So uh -huh. think about it. Like, is there is it, is it possible to like hey, you know, we have this like uh, radioactive decay, right? And that's a good enough uh, entropy source. What happens if we do like a bit shift on that from a quantum source, right? Then in theory, we have this like chaotic system that we're uh, mixing in quantum weirdness to. Does that also produce the results that we would need, right? right. And from the perspective of a, is it truly random enough? The answer is yes, right? So if you do a if you do a, a mix in that way, there's a certain math you have to follow, but right. in theory, it's random enough. But is that randomness quantum weirdness enough for the project? Don't know yet, right? Right. Well, I've, I've heard like within the research groups in our little family, like there's documents that I've seen shared that uh, were done in like the 70s and the 60s that uses total pseudo randomness and they uh, mention uh, retrocausal effects being observed. <laughs> So like, and then you have Double Zero who invented the project who shuns anything that's not quantum randomness because he's just like, how how else would it be possible? No. Yeah, yeah, that's the yeah that's the other thing. A lot of the early research looked at uh, the, the, just to explain why quantum randomness is necessary and not just regular randomness. Uh, a lot of the early research into this field relating to you know consciousness on random number generations uh, was at the location, right? So they have to have the quantum random number generator physically near them enough. Like it had like a field range, right? With the measure, it didn't work past a certain range. Like you couldn't have it miles away. It had to be like within the same rain area as they are, right? And uh, the same thing uh, we've, we've seen in these systems where they do like quantum random number generators and then they stream the data via uh, TCIP. Mm -hmm. I've not found a single paper that has done that without a quantum system, right? Uh -huh. And I think there's like quantum entanglement that's important that plays at play, right? Spooky uh, action at a distance right. and stuff like that. So we don't believe that it works without, if it's non-quantum, it's non -quantum, it won't work at distance, right? And this is a, especially for the Fateson project, it's a global project and we need it to work uh, everywhere. We can't have it only work if you're near the device. Well, did I send you that uh, quantum pseudo telepathy link? I have not read it yet. Yeah, it's just a little Wikipedia page, but we talked about that last time. How like uh, it showed like a uh, difference when 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 it, when using a um, entangled quantum system in uh, mm -hmm. Asian games. Mm -hmm. So that's is a lot of research to go through and like we're not really trying to hide any of these research i think all the other projects you know like you said they're way smarter they did real science but they couldn't get anybody to care whereas yeah. we're trying to just invent stuff and be mad scientists kind of <laughs> and a little bit and but but like people do care you know what i mean yeah. so like if we could meet in the middle a little bit i think that's a big motivation for a lot of people on the development team is to make it more scientific yes 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 um, so I guess the next, next topic I like to touch on is like, why should you randonaut today? Right. What do you get? What is the benefit that you get from using the bot as it is today? Even with the, uh, weirdness with like, we don't know whose intention is mixed in. It's like everybody's intention and you know, it doesn't really have too many features. Why, what benefit do you get if you use the bot today? Right. And the benefit you get is that like life gets very mundane. You fall into these patterns, right? If you look at your Google Maps throughout a month, throughout a week, throughout a year, you're in a box in a, in a closed area. You know, if you're, unless you're a trucker doing something where you're traveling a lot, you're in a closed box and you don't break out of your pattern. Even if you you're a trucker, really, you're still even, in, in certain, yeah. Yeah, certain probability mm -hmm. models. And because of that, you know, we all have biases, right? Where, where you grow, grown up, what culture you grew up on uh, influences the way you solve problems, right? There's a whole subset of research that is in this like Eastern mindset versus Western mindset and discusses like, depending on what culture you grew up in, if it was Eastern or Western, how you're better suited to solve different problems, right? 
And it, it really does shape the way your mind works, right? And so if you're someone who is trying to do something that is outside of your probability, right? Let's say you're, you live in a small town and your parents didn't go to college, right? And you want to really go to college, right? But you don't, it, the statistics are against you, right? Like it's not in your statistical probability to really succeed in college. You don't know anybody who's succeeded in college or you don't know anybody who's become a musician or any one of those, right? Anything that's statistically unlikely, then because of your cultural perspective, because of the topology of your mind, meaning the, the interconnected memories, et cetera, the shape that it is, right? You might not have the information you need to uh, find a path to that solution, right? But by introducing novelty through visiting random geographic places, right? You now are collecting more information. You're adding more memories that you would not have added on right. on your own, right? And that's changing your mental topology, meaning the literal shape of your mind. You're introducing new information that would otherwise not be there, right? Thus allowing you to have better pathfinding, right? It's okay. opening possibilities for you that would otherwise be closed off, right? And so that's, that's the other thing of the project that a lot of people don't understand is just by using it and just by looking at the output that people are sharing their trip reports, right? Just indirectly just looking at trip reports of other people, you're introducing novel information to your brain that otherwise would never be introduced. And the that's going to change the way your mind. Genesis field. That's what yeah. Hero calls the Genesis field. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it hearing, I love hearing it be explained that way. I've always thought that, but that's a perfect way to put it. Mm -hmm. How do you think that relates to the despair meme? The, the despair meme from at least the working theory that we have, right? So we think of like, if you think about this way, the, the best way is like, of course, everything's a fractal. We like to talk about things in fractals because it's easy, but people don't understand fractals. Like it's hard to visualize them in your mind, right? But a bit, maybe a different analogy is, is like, you've grown up your entire life seeing the world through a red tint, right? Mm -hmm. And because you see through the world through a red tint, everything that's red looks white to you and it doesn't appear uh, as important and you don't see it in that way. It's invisible to you, right? And it's there, you bump into this table that's red, but you don't know why it's there, you feel it, but you can't see it, it's invisible to you, right? And then someday somebody gives you a blue tint, right? And red stands out in the blue tint, right? And now you see things differently, right? It's not that things have really changed, it's just that your perception has changed and now you're able to see things and think about things differently. That red table that was probably invisible to you before now stands out and you see it and you're like, this thing has always been here in my life, but I've never seen it. I'm going to move it to the left and now I can walk past it without bumping into it anymore. Right? right. So despair meme uh, from at least from a high level perspective is just that we don't like change, right? Like we don't like things that are going to change things so drastically that we don't know what the output is going to be. Right. Like in our mind, we are always consistently predicting a couple of seconds ahead. Right. And if you can't predict something, it's completely unknown. Right. Going on a randonauts trip, you have absolutely no idea, no frame of reference what's going to happen. Right. Something terrible can happen. Right. Like a lot of people don't realize is going randonauting doesn't mean that something good's going to happen. Right. You could influence your probability <laughs> of your future for like really bad shit to happen. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just it, like going to Mars. Like yeah, you're unknown. introducing chaos. You're introducing chaos into your world. So uh, despair meme is a valid response to the fact that like you are now going to do an action that your brain has absolutely zero information on to predict a model. It is saying, I cannot help you if you go and do this because I have zero prediction. If something <laughs> jumps out at you, we did not predict that was going to happen. We're going to have to process that as new information. We're going to be stuck. Right. So despair meme is the equivalent of like if somebody changed the laws of physics and like you woke up tomorrow and it was heavier or uh, there we go. It's been upgraded. But if you if you if you uh, change like the laws of gravity and like now what you're used to is not there anymore, your brain has to repredict everything. It needs to take in new information. Right? right. So that's what despair meme is. It's just your your brain's natural response to something that it has absolutely no idea. And it should warn you. It should yeah. warn you. Right. But at the same time, uh, there is another more sinister uh, point of view of despair meme, right? Which is that if you're looking through life through a tent and you're about to switch that tent, right? 
maybe you maybe you shouldn't maybe there's something that's kind of like like gravity in a sense that wants you to get back to your old life right it wants you to continue looking through it via tint right um from that point of view fight it like you want to change the tint so you can change your perspective on life right so despair meme i think from a a safety point of view is a nice thing because yeah. like we want people to be safe when they're out there. It's and, a survival mechanism. Yes. It, yeah. It's only bad when it spins out of control and becomes self-paralyzing. Yes. Yes. There we go. And I think that comes from like, you're either it's, it's genetics, right? It's like the same thing. You're either born with a gene to be afraid of public speaking or not. Right. You're either born with a gene to, uh, to go explore and challenge the unknown or you're born with a gene that's more careful. And both of you are needed depending on the environment you're in, right? Some environments reward you for being more uh, explorative. Other environments uh, are, if you do that, you're going to die. You're not going to, your genes are not going to propagate. So it depends. It depends on the, the environment you're in. So despair meme is just, I think, a biological response to the fact that, like, hey, I can't predict what's going to happen if you go down that road. So maybe it's almost like training yourself to be a shapeshifter. Kind of <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, Jamal, I wanted to ask you about your opinion on the Mandela effect because it's That's kind of what like I was going to ask next too. Yeah, hell yeah, because it's kind of a hot topic right now. Specifically, really like interested in. data and computer related to Mandela effect, like maybe how you would um, protect a computer system from the Mandela effect, or if people I mean, are doing that. And Absolutely. do you think do you think it's uh, something quantum related or more along the lines of like false memory? Well, you know, like the Mandela effect is really interesting because it's something that anybody who maintains relational databases can speak to, right? And relational databases are like databases where you use SQL, like structure, uh, structured query language to, to access, right? And if you're anybody who works with these type of uh, databases, you've kind of run into this. And sometimes you think like, is your memory wrong or is it not, right? Anybody who's worked with like long-term data that's uh, relational, has run into this where they get calls about like, hey, some data is no longer what it was, what I expected it to be, right? And they have to do this investigative thing where they're looking through uh, previous notes and all that. And oftentimes it's like, hey, you thought wrong, right? But yeah. I, we, I, my personal opinion of the Mandela effect connects to like the many worlds theorem, right? The many worlds theorem is that like, it's not that an electron is at all places, it's just that it's, it's at one place in every universe. and the end result of where it is in this universe is the universe we're in, right? And based on that, like our brains are quantum computers, right? Like right. if you look at any of the uh, the field of quantum biology, which is just now coming out, and it's kind of interesting. A lot of people don't aren't aware of this, right? So quantum biology now is this field of applying quantum physics to biology, right? And biological systems. And we're finding that like our sense of smell is as a result of like, quantum biology right it's oh. it's it, uh, the way that uh, uh leaves absorb uh the uh, uh, uh photons of light is uh, quantum bi biology and even birds how birds understand how to fly around the world etc via uh, the magnetism is a quantum biological phenomenon right and so we're just now starting to understand things that we thought we understood via uh, quantum biology and the brain as well we understand that the brain now without a doubt most cutting edge uh, research says that it's a quantum system, right? So what a lot of be people believe the Mandela effect is, like from a, a quantum biology sense, is your brain shifting, right, to a reality where maybe one, one thing is different, right? Mm -hmm. So the question is, is if this very moment you shifted, right, into a different, like, reality, right, one of these mirrored off realities, how would you know? Right. What if it was like a product in China that changed or a, a road in China change or a letter of a signboard change? You wouldn't know. Right. So the answer is, is that for most uh, cases, if a shift happened, right, you wouldn't have a vantage point to know. Right. But for these very obscure, like one off, like everybody seems to have an opinion on things. Right. We kind of do know. Right. That something is different. And a lot of people can kind of equate it to just like, you know, you're 
your memory is reconstructive and you reconstruct as opposed to having a perfect memory and that it's very common for people to reconstruct in the similar ways based on their culture and the way that they were exposed to our product and all that. But when you first come across your very first item that is different, right? From your vantage point, you have this feeling where you just cannot believe it. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. And to make matters worse, you can have an argument with someone on the name of a something, right? Like some fact (laughs) that you're absolutely certain of. And then afterwards lose the argument and then have the same argument a week later and win it. Right. So it's not just like, not that something shifts in a station in that state, it can shift back. That's the weird behavior. Right. And, I've watched Fruit Loops change like a thousand times, bro. <laughs> yeah. So the question is, is can we store the states of changing in a, uh, let's say a, a computer system, right? And the answer is no, because if it shifted, the computer system has shifted with it, right? So if it's called something in one system and then we shift and now we're in a different reality, it's the, the data has shifted as well, right? Well, Even your hand so That happened to me using Phantom. With, the, yeah. with that, that owl restaurant I went to. Yeah. I was in Colorado and I generated that point. Mm-hmm. And then I went there and it was a great like owl restaurant and there was owls everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then when I go back to write the report, it says it took me like five miles somewhere else. Like maybe oh. that's a glitch in Phantom. Like maybe. Oh, shit. But yeah. still that feeling of just like, wait a minute, how did I get there? Like even if it's a glitch, like just that, that's sort of that feeling of just like yeah. – something something didn't add up like because i did it in a certain way so that it would add up mm-hmm. and it just didn't add wasn't up. your car wasn't your car's mileage totally off too before that trip yeah that was a totally totally other experience where like all of a sudden i didn't need an oil change mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so i'd say i say the following when it comes to stuff like that right one is that if it's just you and your brain thinking it's wrong it's probably not a good vantage point right we don't want to feed into delusions right we all have like moments where we think we're something is happening when it's really not and we need other people to fact check our thought processes right Mm -hmm. that's the cool thing humans can do is we can check our programming and say like hey did you also experience this right if suddenly tomorrow the sun is blue and we ask everybody was it yellow yesterday and everybody says no probably we're the ones bugging right but if a good chunk of society says like yesterday the sun was not blue it was yellow right then we're not alone and we can say that uh, some event has happened, right? So a Mandela effect is a verifiable <laughs> reality shift where a, where above chance, like part of society believes it's happened, right? So uh, within the Phaeton uh, uh, project, we, com- we came up with this thing called semantic, right, uh, blockchain, right? And uh, everybody knows how blockchain works, right? You have a private key, a public key, and you... Uh, sign something with that key, right? The semantic version of that is that you have a graphical image, right? Think about it this way. There's an automatic program that if you uh, run at a specific time, at a specific location with a specific input, will generate some graphic for you, right? And that graphic is very unique because the parameters put into that graphic are geographically based based on time. So it's, it has a factor of space time. And then it also needs an input of random bytes, which could be anything. It could be audio. It could be video. It could be a picture. It could be a PDF, anything that you find meaningful. Right. And it's the juxtaposition of all of the stuff put together that's fed into this algorithm and it returns an image for you. Right. This image is like your sigil. It is your, like your symbol. Right. And the idea is, is if you have now your, your, your signature sigil, right? And let's say comrade goes on a, a trip, right? And he goes on his trip and he shares his trip report with me and he asks me to, to stamp his trip for him, right? Wow. And this is probably like not every trip. It's probably like one trip that comrade really went on that was interesting, right? I will, I will look at it for him, read his report, and then I'll stamp it with my sigil, right? And he'll keep repeating this. Maybe he'll get 10 trusted friends to do this, right? And now he has this trip that's been uh, authenticated by 10 of his friends, right? Let's say a year from now, Comrade is going through his trip reports and he sees that like he visited one location, which was a restaurant, 
And then he tried visiting that same location. And it wasn't there anymore. Right. So something changed. Right. So he's bugging out. He's like, man, I know I visited this place. It was here. I went on this trip and this happened there. But according to what I have in my trip report, that's different. Right. All he has to do is ask like everybody who stamped his trip. Hey, can you just look to see if your sigil is what it's supposed to be? Right. And the idea is, is if this sigil is something that you use on a daily basis, meaning that every time you go take a trip that this is stamped on your trip and you see it, you start to associate, right? Repetition is important. You start to associate like Jamal's sigil is a letter T with the red uh, hue on it. Right. And then comrade asked me, Jamal, can you verify your sigil is there? And I look at it and it's not a red T anymore. It's a blue T. Right. And I'm like, Comrade, that's not my sigil. It's change, right? right? Cool. Now Comrade has one person that's told him the sigil has changed. Let's say Comrade has like 60% of the people he's asked to stamp say that their sigils have changed, right? Then there's a probably a above chance uh, that Comrade has shifted into a different reality where that trip was different, right? Yeah. So that's what semantic blockchain is. It's a way to set up a closed system where once a graphic that we've put in our head has changed, right? We know that the parameters that originally created it are different, right? So that's probably the best way to verify if a Mandela effect is happening, right? If you have people across social medias, right? Just stamping things that they use on a daily basis on the internet. Like if you're uploading an image, just put your sigil on it, put it in the bottom right-hand corner in a black space where nobody's going to see it, right? If suddenly your, your sigil change, then you know the original inputs that produce that symbol are no longer valid, meaning it's, 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 you're in a different universe, right? The, the nice thing about doing it that way is that our brains suck because like, they don't memorize things in absolutes. They, they, they only get really good if you keep through repetition, right? So we can't store like absolute data in our head like we start to lose bits and parts of it right but when it comes to the one thing that we're better than computers at which is object recognition right and object detection if you have a symbol that you see on a daily basis that you start to associate with yourself and your identity your sigil right, right? and the inputs for that were based on a point in space and time and something <laughs> meaningful to you as a byte stream right that was the inputs to it right if that changes, you're in a different reality. And if you have enough people verify that their sigils have changed, then a shift has happened, right? So that's the kind of the idea we want to incorporate to kind of track when Mandela effects are changing. Because right now, if you look at a lot of these communities that are, are interested in Mandela effects and if these shifts do happen, the one thing that's missing is what is a systematic way that we can verify if a shift has happened, right? Uh, one flaw to the system is is that it, it has to depend on people you trust, right? right? So if you like have 10 people you really don't trust uh, stamp their sigils and then you ask them, they can all lie, right? This is based on that. But I like to believe that if you have 10 friends that you really trust their opinions and they trust yours, right? That's, right. I, I trust that more than I trust like a software system, right? right. Uh, those 10 people are gonna be honest Right. And that's how you're going to determine like through your social sphere of people that you interact with, that you believe in. And the idea is, is that it's it, that if a shift has happened, we'll see a above chance likelihood that people report that their sigils have changed. Right. So and that would that would uh, either falsifiable evidence or something. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a hundred percent truth, but we we do get to work on some some data, right? Let's say like if this uh, this idea picked on, and we had like a hundred thousand people, you know, verify that some product has changed via their sigil changing, right? Then we'd have a systematic way to kind of pinpoint what has changed for these people. What's the common thing for these group of people who say that their sigil has changed? What existed for them where they came from? versus uh, what's changed in the current reality that we are in, right? And we'd be able to, we'd be able to document that, right? In the global uh, mental sphere, everybody. Yeah. And so this is all based on the theory that you think we can actually um, shift realities by using the Faden project. Yeah, you know, uh, this, the uh, Mandela effect wasn't taken seriously until like a YouTube channel popped up a little back uh, called the Quantum Businessman. And he's like in food processing data, 
Uh, yeah, I've right? seen that video. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a good video, but uh, it, this was a literally a business concern for him, right? Uh, for those of you guys who are listening, yeah. don't really know, uh, there's a guy out there on YouTube called a quantum businessman, and he owns a company which is like a a, a program for people who sell produce and like other home appliances for grocery stores at scale, and they make their money from being able to sell large quantities for like a few cents difference, right? And uh, they get used to similar products, right? All of these products have like specific names that we don't know about, like we call an avocado an avocado, but there's specific types of company avocados and stuff like that. And his company had this issue where customers would call in and say like, the name of this has changed in my database and it used to be this name, right? And his employees would spend hours upon hours troubleshooting this only to verify that like the data logging was valid and the, the handwritten notes are valid. And it was just that that individual's mind changed. But then the next day or a week later, or a month later, it would change back. Right. And so he, he had to uh, find it, a reason for how data can change and it, it, an encryption could be broken. Right. Cause like in theory, if, if, if it is this name in the relational database, and you have all the security checks programmatically that are encrypted, right? That every action is logged and it's crypto, it's signed by cryptography and that you, you can't falsify this data, right? And if the data tells you that the data was not modified and the handwritten notes tell you that it wasn't modified and it's really called this, but in, in like a good chunk of people's minds, they remember it called something different, right? What's the answer for that, right? And so you started this uh, YouTube series explaining that like Mandela effect is the logical answer for this problem, right? And he even gives you very world examples of like products that change names pretty frequently, right? So it is, it is a, a observable effect in, uh, in software that is relational uh, in nature, right? Anything that has a name that doesn't have fuzzy search capability and fuzzy search is like being able to match something uh, when it's not exact, like you can misspell it, you can call it something different, right? If it's something that depends on something being something and nothing else, that's relational, right? Uh, in systems like that, this exists. And you could ask a lot of uh, database administrators, this is probably one of the uh, things that eats their time the most, right? It's just that it's not uh, fun to talk about because like, no, who wants to be that person to bring it up? Like, hey, I'm a database administrator and that <laughs> effect is happening at so-and-so large company, right? Yeah. It's not something that uh, it makes sense. Uh, so, go ahead. I was just going to say, do you think we're seeing an increase in Mandela effects because of uh, like new quantum technologies that are being used? Or do you think it's something that's been happening for all time, like shifting realities? I think we are seeing a whole bunch more quantum events happening as a result of these quantum systems being commercialized, right? So like D-Wave in Canada, there's a lot of uh, quantum systems that are being commercialized today, right? And we mm -hmm. know that every time you, you, you invoke a quantum uh, system to, to, to collapse the wave of potential, that it creates every reality, right? So uh, we know that more and more of these systems are going to cause more and more of these effects to happen, right? Maybe that it's happening so quickly like we are just lost, right? We just feel like we're lost in the loop, right? We don't know what's going on. It's just that there's so many things that are changing consistently. We just think it's modern civilization that everything changes so quickly. So that's the reason why, right? There's a sensation amongst people these days where like it's hard to keep track of things even going backwards. And there's a sensation of information overload because nobody seems to remember correctly, right? But what if being able to not remember correctly as society is a symptom of like everything changing all the time, right? Even in the past, right? Right, right. Um, I will say that like there's interesting applications that are being developed, right? So uh, a lot of these neural networks, especially as they relate to uh, computer vision and object detection, they depend on having a good randomness source, right? And the randomness source that they use now is just like a, a pseudo randomness and it's good enough. But I have seen like a few researchers uh, introducing quantum randomness into these neural networks and seeing insane stuff, right? One of the nice things about the human brain is that we kind of have this quantum system that can kind of do pseudo randomness. And then like out of nowhere, a thought appears that you don't even know where it came from. Right. So mm -hmm. uh, introducing into these artificial neural networks, quantum randomness, weird shit starts happening, but nobody's yeah. kind of talking about it. 
right? You can go pull up one of these uh, neural networks and find where it's uh, inputting the quantum, uh, the randomness source and plug in a quantum randomness source or a high entropy source. And like the algorithm starts to behave differently. It starts to have a, like different results in a way that's kind of weird, right? So, but nobody's kind of talking about that. That's not something that's currently talked about. So what do you think is going to happen if we're using more and more quantum applications like in the future? What do you think could happen as a result of that? More and more reality shifts? Like what, what would that lead to? I don't think we have the language to describe that, right? right. But a, a sensation that I think that people will start feeling more is feeling disconnected, right? Not feeling grounded, feeling like the, the ground is not there under them, right? That it's like things are changing so fast that it's hard to perceive, right? It's going to become hard to, one of the things about our brain that a lot of people don't understand is we have this thing called sensory adaptation. If something exists uh, as an input source long enough, we ignore it, right? This is why our eyes have to vibrate. Even if you think you're staring and fixated on a specific object, your eyes actually are vibrating because if they didn't vibrate and you were staring at that object long enough, it would disappear. This is why when you stare at something, it kind Whoa. of starts to disappear, right? So, uh, I suspect one of the things that will happen is there's probably like universal constants or things like that, that through sensory adaptation, right? Like example, the technological white noise hum of technology exists everywhere, but because it's always there, we ignore it, right? And there might be other things that have always been there sensory wise that we were completely tuning out because they were just consistently constant, right? But in theory, if you're shifting all the time, then those things now are not subjected to sensory adaptation and they start showing up, right? So stuff that was really obvious if we didn't have sensory adaptation just starts to be like in your face, right? And what those things are in terms of reality, who knows? Maybe that's like being able to perceive different wavelengths of color, right? Or, or maybe that's uh, uh, being able to understand a universal law that we didn't understand before, right? Yeah, so it literally could lead to a shift in consciousness. Like this could be a... Uh of experiencing more synchronicity, life, you know, being a little bit more quote unquote magical. Yeah. Well, it yeah. reminds me of uh, Terrence McKenna's time wave zero, that just things are approaching. Yeah, it. yeah. That was crazy. But, yeah. yeah, I totally agree. The transcendental object at, at the end of time, whatever he calls mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So, I don't know. Well, that, that was about an hour. I think that's pretty, uh, I think minds are warped enough, Jamal. <laughs> <laughs> well, can we talk about the app real quick and then we'll and then we'll sign off i think so yeah so what what are what are we working on like uh I, we just went out in japan that was really cool yeah so uh behind the scenes we're all kind of working towards like getting a app together right and uh the app is going to have a lot of features but mainly what we want to do is we know that there's a usability problem with using the bot right writing text commands and waiting for responses and the way that the architecture is now isn't really good so we're building a, a app and the app is going to come with two parts it's going to be a client for the user to use and like a, a server that we're going to call a pod right uh, the idea is we want to create a decentralized uh, architecture so that anybody can spin up their own uh, Randonauts community, right? The idea is, is that you're gonna get some uh, software that you can run on your computer or on a server, right? And expose yourself to a greater community that can connect to you, right? And then on the client end, the app end, you can choose to connect to the you know, main mothership, which is gonna be what we're gonna broadcast. And what you get by doing that is you get some source of entropy. So we're gonna broadcast that, like some high source of entropy that you can uh, uh, consume from. And then also you get access to like the greater community, anything that they're sharing, right? But the idea is to allow this to be decentralized without the internet, without needing the internet. So we're thinking of uh, like individual randomized communities uh, spawning up from uh, various parts of the world and being able to be self-sufficient and have their own entropy source that they can plug in. They might not need quantum randomness. They might be fine with just like, radioactive decay or chaotic system, uh, et cetera, right? But what we're gonna do is provide them a way to set up a self-contained Randonauts server, which supports everything that a community needs. So it supports streaming, 
the random uh, entropy source. It, it supports uh, intercommunication between community members. It supports sharing trip reports and authenticating each other's trip reports. And then on the client end, if you're the person who has the app on your phone, the idea is, is that if you have no internet access, no access to connect to anything, you should still be able to go on trips and generate attractors, right? So we've found some pretty interesting papers that uh, describe how to use a cell phone camera as a quantum random number generator, right? It's not the most perfect system or easiest thing to do, but in theory, you can use a cell phone camera as a quantum random number generator source. So we're thinking about moving all that onto the cell phone so that an individual can download the app, uh, hit go on, uh, on, go on a trip and go visit locations, document what those locations are, uh, generate the equivalent of a trip and then if they choose to send it to whoever they want but we want to make it in a way where it's decentralized and they decide what greater community to connect to the reason that's important one privacy we don't ever want to be in a position as a group to uh, be subpoenaed to, into releasing trip data for individuals wow. right we don't want to be in that position we don't want to store any of that information uh, and then two uh, if you're in a greater community, you're also going to be influenced by the greater community's attentions, right? Maybe you want to be in a community that is more uh, holistic and uh, closer to the earth and the environment, or maybe you want to be in a community that's more tech, right? Those fears of influence intersect and you want to be careful on which community you're uh, com contributing in or allowing to generate the entropy source for you, right? Right. So uh, that will allow people to set up self-contained like communities with specific goals. Like we want to go find, I don't know, precious metals in the world. That's what our random odds community is for. Right. Uh, so that's what we're working towards is like V one of the mobile app. Uh, we do have a few things we're trying to solve. One is a high end. I mean, a high uh, data uh, entropy source. And then two is setting up this architecture so that it's decentralized on the client and on the server. Right. And then to allow the, the user to decide if, and when they send data across. And then to also include the semantic uh, blockchain idea that we were talking about. Yeah, that sounds awesome, dude. I think that's great. Uh, especially the uh, mixing your intention in with uh, different sources. That's a big, big issue right now. Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, uh, Nick, is there anything else you wanna talk about? Nope, I thought that was really good. I, really I feel like we covered everything. Thank you so much, Jamal. I hope we have you on again in a couple months so we can have a, another update on what the development team is doing. Absolutely. Awesome, dude. Well, thank you so much. I'll, I'll talk to you later. All right, yep. take care, guys. See you guys.